Hello and welcome to the Stronghold Podcast. We are back for the first podcast of whatever year it is, 2021 now. We just had the first, uh, the first fights of the year, and uh, it's January, dude. It's uh, Luke here from Stronghold MMA, Jake the producer. What's up, Jake? Hey, how you doing? All good? 2021? I'm trying to remember how to press all these buttons and make things work. How you feeling, man? How yeah. you feeling about 2021? Uh, good. I, I, uh, I'm telling you earlier that on the 1st of January, I stood on some scales and saw a number. I was like, that is not acceptable. So, uh, what, what are we on now? 17, 17 days in, so I'm feeling better, feeling healthier than after You know Christmas. the secret? Don't ever step on the scale. I haven't. I haven't <laughs> done it once. You know why? Because I don't want to know. I don't want to know the truth. I do. I deeply regret doing it. I have to say, yeah. I so just yeah, said. you said I'm not trying to ruin anything, but you told me you're going about 10 kilos. <laughs> about 10 kilos during the break. Is this the heaviest you've ever been? Ah, uh, no, 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 no. I once went on a. Um, my, my wife moved to Shanghai three months ahead of me when I lived in Delhi, and I just spent three months eating pizza and drinking. I was overweight. Well, what was the heaviest you ever been? Oh, I reckon it's about 75 then. Okay. Like that, well, you're, so. you're knocking on the door, dude. You told me you were 72 or something like that. Uh, but th- this was 75 of pure unhealthiness uh, and fat, whereas I'm actually, this was just too much piss over Christmas. <laughs> that well, was it. It's good, man. I'm happy to be back. First podcast of the year. First podcast of the year. And for the listeners, last podcast in this location. We are getting a new studio. Uh, the wife and I are moving and uh, we made sure that we got an extra bedroom so that way we could create a studio. I don't know what it will look like. I don't know if it'll be better or worse than we have right now. At the very least, we won't have to worry about being rained out or having any other nonsense uh, shut down the podcast when we're trying to do it, which is what happened last week. We were here uh, ready to record the podcast. I mean, there hadn't been any fights or anything like that, so there wasn't a whole lot to talk about, but you know, we were ready to get back on the horse. And then it's been pissing rain in Singapore for the last two weeks, pissing rain. Anybody here that's living in Singapore that know, knows exactly what I'm talking about, it's been raining nonstop. So we got rained out last week. But that's okay, man. I'm not mad about it. We got more to talk about this week. We're back to training. New year, 2021. New possibilities, new opportunities. Unless you're living in some of those countries that have not handled the coronavirus very well. <laughs> there's a load of people in Europe. Well, maybe there is, or maybe there isn't. People in Europe right now going, no, there's not. We're just in lockdown still. <laughs> this is man, horrible. I was talking to Charmaine, uh, my wife, yesterday. Because uh, we were in Malaysia before we came here, right? And we ended up getting deported from Malaysia because of some crazy shit. Didn't get a work visa that I was supposed to get. And I was thinking about, in hindsight, how different my life would be had I stayed in Malaysia. Like, if I just, if they got my visa and I had stayed there and then all of this kind of stuff happened, I would have just had to hunker down. And they're back under lockdown. There's no jujitsu. There's no fights. There's, there's nothing. Yeah. And the government's not supporting the businesses in the way that they support them in Singapore. And I just, I did this little thought experiment where I was thinking about what my life would be like had I stayed in Malaysia. And I honestly have no idea what to, I mean, I'd be broke. Our business would be closed. I'd probably be looking for jobs, maybe here or maybe somewhere else, but then you have to deal with like the quarantine and my life would just be in a completely different, crazy place. When we made the move back here, we didn't know what was going to happen. You open up a business. It's a volatile decision to make anyway. You never know if it's going to succeed. And then on top of the coronavirus. The pandemic. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, what if you'd been in a state in India or if you'd stayed in China or you say like, but man, even in the UK right now, like my parents. They're back me, under too, right? Yeah, back under lockdown, middle of winter. My parents sent me a photo, completely snowed in. It'd be 
well, we've got it so fortunate here. Like over Christmas, I deliberately didn't post any photos onto my Instagram or Facebook or anything, just because obviously a lot of my friends are back. Don't want to rub it in. Yeah, don't want to rub it in. Things are brilliant here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but well, I mean, listen, we have to be thankful for what we have. Uh, I was having that thought experiment, and the only thing that resulted from it was being extremely grateful. Yeah. Of the situation that we're in now, here we are podcasting together, not wearing a mask. Because there were some uh, amazing fights today. I don't want to shoot the shit too much because I want to get right into the chaos that was the, the UFC today. What a great card. Yep. A, a, an amazing, amazing start to the year. Like, I don't think they could have wished for a better card. Or, or the better outcomes with on the card as well. Like, every fight, something in it, in the main card at least. I didn't watch. And the first month is coming in hot. This yeah. is just the taste. This is just a sprinkling of what MMA is going to have in January, February, and March. The first quarter of the year is pretty much mapped out, which includes some crazy shit like the fight today, Holloway and Cater, the undercard, which was really good, a lot of finishes. Connor and Poirier's next week. They just announced uh, Stipe and Francis too. They announced Volkanovski and um, uh, Brian Ortega. Ortega. They, man, whoo! Khabib, maybe Khabib's <laughs> coming back. I brought my Khabib shirt, but I'm not wearing it because it, it felt redundant because I wear it so many times, and I don't want to be that much of a fanboy. I don't want to be that much of a fanboy. Apparently, Dana's saying that there's some announcement today, but I can't remember. I can't work out the time difference. But I think it's supposed it's to not, be at three. Yeah. That's what I saw. But um, I don't know how big an announcement it is and how much it's just him saying, well, I sat down with him and Well, maybe. I think they actually came out with the official announcement. I think the official announcement was, we'll see. Apparently they sat and they chatted yeah. in the office and I saw like the hype video that the UFC released. It reminded me a little bit of uh, like LeBron James. Remember the decision? I, I don't know if you follow basketball or <laughs> no, anything like no, that. No, I do not. But you know LeBron James, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's from Cleveland and he played for the Cavs, which is the Cleveland team. And mm -hmm. when he was like, his contract was up, he, every, he told everybody he was going to leave. And then ESPN created this entire like docu-series called The Decision. And it just went, it was just wild speculation about where LeBron would go, what would happen. He ended up going to the Miami Heat. And it was funny because this whole thing with Khabib felt a little bit like that. Like, yeah. Dana, they're hyping up just, like, the meeting, the fact that they're going to have a meeting, right? Oh, there, there was the footage of him, like, shaking hands. Dana's leading him leading into the him room. Into the, and and then Khabib like leads that. him Yeah, then Khabib's in. like, no, you first. And we all know that happened. How stupid is that? <laughs> it's just him leading him into the room. But anyway, so, listen, 2021's coming in hot. I don't know where everybody listening to this podcast is. If you're stuck in quarantine and if you're, you're dealing with this, uh, we apologize. Luckily, there's sport. There's things that are starting to happen. Even if you're locked up in quarantine, certain parts of the world are opening up. The vaccine is out. The path is clear that things are going to be better in 2021 than they were in 2020. Um, so let's, let's get into this shit. First podcast of the year. I'm ready to go. Let's talk about uh, Max Holloway and Calvin Cater. Uh, what a fucking crazy fight. The first thing I want to start with is Max Holloway broke a new UFC record for strikes. I think he threw over set. Is there something on me? No, no, no. I thought you were. Oh, no, 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 sorry. You were looking at me, you were like. <laughs> and I was like, what's on my face? No, trying to, trying to remember things. <laughs> I can't remember how to podcast, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's all, it feels new again, man. I kind of like it. It feels fresh. <laughs> so, anyway, Max Holloway threw 700. Can you do me a favor and look up the Compu Box, the official numbers? Uh, but it was. I remember in the fourth round, them saying he'd thrown 600 and whatever the fuck. And I think he was averaging about 100 plus punches around or strikes around. So, I mean, his output was ridiculous. 
ridiculous. I believe it's number one now all time. And I think he broke his previous record that he'd set when he fought Brian Ortega. Yeah, it was his own record that he broke. I know that. So, uh, which is even crazy because now Ortega's fighting Volkanovski for the title. And, uh, man, Max Holloway put on a pace the likes of which I've never seen in the history of MMA. You got some uh, official numbers there? I'm just trying to find the actual stats for the okay, fight. Okay, sure. Got it. Sorry, so I'll just, I'll just keep breaking it down. But he, listen, th this was crazy because I actually really gave Calvin Cater uh, – a good chance going into this fight. He's got some of the best boxing in the division. His timing is really good. His boxing is superb. Uh, I mean, all of his fights, all of his fights, even the ones he lost were extremely competitive. The fight with Zabit, for example, who's been out for a long time, but is... Yeah, what's that? Quick side, what's happened to Zabit? He was the hot thing, and I've not heard any... I've not heard him... He's fighting anyone. I mean, I think the last fight he had was with Cater. Yeah. Was it the last fight he had? I mean, we, we, this is a, a tangent. We can look at it later, but... I mean, uh, point is, Calvin Cater won that third round. He was coming in hard. Zabit looked tired, and that's when he gets against one of the top prospects of the division. It was the last fight he lost. And, uh, I mean, Calvin Cater is extremely good is the point that I'm trying to make. To the point where I thought he was the dark horse in the division. I still do because he's that good. But Max Holloway showed what's up. I mean, his boxing, his kicking, his body punches, he... He, he hit him with a head kick that nearly finished him in the second round. He was mixing up everything. Elbows, knees, kicks, body shots, punches to the head. And the most this was the most developed Max Holloway's game ever looked. And the, the best part about his style was he, he did two things that you have to do as a striker to shut down your opponent. Number one, he was leading. And number two, he was interrupting. So Max Holloway was always the first one to punch and to, to instigate, which you can tell by his ridiculous numbers, right? I mean, he throws 600. Do you have him? Can yeah, you, yeah, yeah the got official? the numbers. There you go, on screen now. So you got uh, 445 significant strikes landed, uh, which broke, <laughs> broke his own record. Landed? Uh, landed? Yep, four, 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 five oh significant strikes landed. God. Those and are like boxing numbers, dude. That's crazy. Seven, seven, four, so, sorry, seven, four, four significant strikes. Seven seven four, so it's almost eight hundred. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and I read as well. He he broke the record. No, sorry, he tied the record for uh, largest margin of a decision win. I think he had two yeah. two fifty forty threes and one fifty forty two from the so, judges. So do me a favor, pop that back up and just read that for me, just so uh, so all the listeners uh, can so hear you got the official. Four hundred forty five significant strikes landed by Holloway, a UFC record regardless of weight class. He outlanded his foe 56 to 24 in round one, and then it just gets worse if you Calvin Cater. 89 to 20 in round two. Um, oh, God. Um, numbers 75 to 29 in round three, 141 to 34 in round four, and 84 to 26 in round five. 84 to 26. Four times the volume in the fifth round. Yep. Now, here's the thing about this fight, right? Here's the thing about how the fight played out. It was a beatdown for sure. But Calvin Cater still was, still was fighting until the last bell. This is what made it interesting, right? Because there's no question it was lopsided. The numbers, the differential and strikes, all that stuff was lopsided. But there were periods every round where Cater landed hard. Mm -hmm. Like at least a few times every round. There, there were a few times where, where Holloway 
was borderline overwhelming him, and it looked like he was about to finish the fight. But Cater tucked his chin, started winging hard bombs enough to back him off. Yeah. And that happened pretty much every round. Like, Holloway would pick him apart, you know, Cater would throw a couple huge things, and then the momentum would shift and Holloway would start unloading and hitting massive combinations where it looked like he was just a few strikes away from finishing him and Cater would just bite down and start fucking windmilling, right? Just to yeah. back him off. And that happened several times I think uh, throughout in, in the fight. round three, even the commentators were saying like, maybe Cater's corner's going to throw the towel in and stuff like that. Yeah. Because it could have been stopped in round three when Holloway was just teeing off I think it. in the second and in the fourth, he hit him with a head kick in the second and then in the third or fourth, he unloaded, unloaded like a barrage, man. He must have thrown 40 or 50 punches in the in span of a minute, yeah. right? And maybe Cater threw four or five ba just decapitation punches just to, just to back him off. Because so, if you're getting overwhelmed by somebody, I mean, you know, it's weird because at Stronghold, when we spar, we're never sparring like that. But I've been in many fights, so I understand being overwhelmed with volume. And, like, when you're being overwhelmed with volume, you can't pitter-patter back. You have to throw decapitation punches, right? Where, yeah. Because the person who's overwhelming you has to know that, like, that punch would have taken off your head if it landed. And that was what Cater kept doing. He was getting picked apart right when Holloway felt the momentum shift and he thought he might be able to finish him. Cater would tuck his chin and start throwing fucking decapitation punches, right? And it backed Holloway off, and then he would step in, pick him apart. And he found his moments like that periodically throughout the fight. Um... But it was just a beat down. That was the best Max Holloway has ever looked. Oh, what do you say about Max Holloway? What a fucking stud. He's he one is. of my favorite fighters of all time. It's just, I said it earlier. I was talking to some students about it. He's just this guy that will beat your fucking ass with a smile on his face. He's not rude about it. There's no malicious intent. But he'll beat his chest and get the crowd hyped and swing bombs and then... I'm always taken back. Do me a favor, Jake. See if you can find this because I, I don't know if uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have heard it. But can you find the post-fight speech that uh, Max Holloway did with? It, it happened in the corner after the fight, where uh, or uh, Max Holloway went over and talked to Brian Ortega, and he was like, "I, I was love like, you, bro. Yeah, I love like, you, bro. We should Great be friends. Fight. We should be friends. Yeah, we're totally." Can you see? There was like a, a sub. I don't know if you can find it, but we basically just summed it up. And that is just Max Holloway to a T. Yeah, he, he literally walked over to him and was like, oh, you seem a cool guy. It seems like we should be friends. And he's like, yeah, we can totally be friends. He's like, okay. Yeah, he's like, I'll be your friend. He's like, yeah, man, we should be friends. He's like, I'll be your friend. And it was, and they just beat the shit out of each other. Ortega's head looked like the elephant man. Like, but Which was the one as well where um, in one of the fights, he just went in the middle in the last 20 seconds, like, here, throw down. Let's Ricardo throw down. Lamas. Yeah, let's see what's up. When he fought Ricardo Lamas in the last 50, he was dominating that fight. Yeah. The only way he could have lost that fight is if he's like, okay, let's yeah, do Let's exactly throw down and get clipped. Just because, man. Just because. See, I, I love, love, love Max Holloway. How can you not? What a fucking legend, yeah. man. And, and I thought, and it was the first podcast I did with you when he just lost to Volkanovski for the second mm. time. And I actually thought he comfortably won that fight. I'm, I'm not the saying... The second it, one, right? Yeah, the second one. He, he thought Volko won the first one, right? Yeah, Volkanovski mm. definitely won the first. I thought Holloway won the second one. I'm not saying it was a robbery, but... I thought so too. Yeah. I think most people thought Holloway won the second one. Yeah. You know, so he's, he's on a two-fight losing streak but not really and then he puts in that performance yeah it's just amazing well i was saying earlier i think to you that uh if you're max holloway it's difficult right because 
let's say Volkanovski beats Brian Ortega, which I think that Volkanovski is the favorite. I think he'll probably win that fight. Uh, the, so what? You're, so Max Holloway and Volkanovski are going to fight three out of five times for when Volkanovski is a champ? Three out of his five title fights will be against Max Holloway? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> I mean, it's the, but the thing is, the fights were so close, and Max Holloway is such a fucking stud. People love him. He's super popular. He's getting more dominant against the fringe contenders than he was even when he was champ. In some context. I mean, he finished Aldo. He fi- Maybe that's not necessarily but damn, he looked good today. Yeah. I mean, just with fresh eyes, you know, heat of the moment just happened today. So, but that <laughs> was, that's, sh- sh- unless you like Conor McGregor's sleep Jose Aldo, like flash, that is as dominant a win. That's as big a flex. 700 over significant strikes. The volume was ridiculous. He was barely even breathing yeah. hard at the end of it. He, he was so... He had so much energy left at the end of it. It was like, oh, if someone pulls out next week as well, I'm, I'm here. I may as well what fight. A fucking, <laughs> what like, a stud. Yes. <laughs> what a stud. I mean, he's just one of my favorite fighters of all time. Like, Max Holloway is just that guy that's grown on me and grown yeah. on me and grown on me. And, and by the way, this is not to take any shine off Calvin Cater. It's tough to see what you do with him now because it was such an epic beatdown. He, he's still, I feel like, saved face through his toughness, through his uh, willingness to be under fire and fire back constantly. You win points like that. Now, I feel like another thing I need to mention about this card is this was the first ever card on ABC. I don't know how many people listening to this are familiar with like American television, but ABC is one of the big four networks in America, right? Like in Singapore, you have Channel 5 and you have uh, Channel 4 or whatever it is, right? A- ABC, like, it's free to air, isn't it? Yes. Like anyone it, can watch like it. It's like CBS, NBC, ABC, and Fox, right? Those channels have been free in the U.S. with like rabbit ears since like the 70s and 80s, right? Like you don't need basic cable. Just everybody gets those channels. And ABC used to be the home of fighting. Like uh, Muhammad Ali fought on ABC. Mike Tyson fought on ABC. A bunch of these people have fought on ABC, and then they haven't had fights on ABC in years. And so this is the first one back ever since the UFC brokered this deal, and fights are now back on free television all the way across the, uh, the U.S. And what a fight to introduce. Yeah, if, you, if you've never seen UFC before, and today or MMA before, I should say, and today's card was your introduction to it, you must be like, Holy shit, this is the greatest I thing mean, ever. I mean, it would be the equivalent of in Singapore, like having the UFC for free on uh, Channel 5 or something, right? Like everybody gets it. It's just there. It would be like that being played on Channel 5 in prime time, right? Because I, th- I think they were scheduling it for like an evening prime time, 7 or 8 p.m. Uh, window in the U.S. or whatever it was. I can't remember exactly what it was. But point is, it was a really big fight. The ratings will, were important. Like... I feel like Holloway knew he had to put on a good performance. I've never seen him that busy, that ferocious, that just tenacious from the get-go. His work rate in the first round was higher than any first round ever, and he's always busy. Yeah. And then he got busier even still. Like, I mean, I literally don't think you can have much – I don't think it's possible to have much more of a work rate than that. That's about the top end of how many punches you can actually throw in a 25-minute fight. Yeah. He's the – the biggest thing I've seen anyone since, um, oh God, uh, Colby. Yeah. The, the, the time when Colby went takedown crazy. I forget which fight it was. He was just hitting takedown after takedown. Robbie Lawler? Yeah, yeah, the Lawler fight. But yeah, even Holloway's striking output today was above that even. It was crazy. And, and one of the things is, I, I want to 
belabor this point a little bit. I know we've been talking about this for a while. We'll, we'll move on. But, but it was an amazing fight. I mean, it was incredible. And uh, so I, I mentioned earlier about how Holloway was leading and he was countering. He was interrupting. Right? This is the word I use, interrupting. So basically, let's say that, that you and I are fighting or me and the listeners or whatever, right? As I start to, to throw punches at you, every time that I lead, I have a slight advantage, right? Because I'm instigating Mm. the the conflict right I, i'm bringing the fight to you now if i'm going to lead you have the option to counter right and this is one thing that that cater wasn't doing enough consistently he wasn't countering consistently he also wasn't leading consistently and this is where it gets tricky right because holloway w- was leading pretty much the whole fight and then the few times that uh cater would either counter appropriately or he would choose to lead holloway was always interrupting him like, Cater would step in, and then Holloway would interrupt him with punches, straight punches, kicks, body shots, yep. whatever it was. So he would lead, and then when Cater would counter, he would counter his counter. Or he would lead, and then the very few times that Cater would try to step in, he always had something to beat him when he came in. Yeah. So he's leading the dance, and when Cater would try to establish some sort of offensive lead, he would be constantly interrupted. Always. For, for five rounds, for 25 minutes. I mean, it is scary to do that. It's tough to do that. He was just always ready. He was ready to step in and lead the dance. Anytime Cater brought the fight forward, he would also interrupt him. That is so frustrating to feel because literally what's happened is, you know, I also mentioned it earlier about what it feels like to have somebody do that to you. When somebody is in your face constantly and you're always backing up and you're always circling, you get so stressed out that it literally depletes your gas tank. This is what Nate, Nick and Nate Diaz do to people. This is what Holloway does to people. Colby, those people that just stay in your face. You have the Francis Ngannou's and you have the, you have the power punchers, the Connors, right? That can sleep you with one punch. And then you have those guys that just stay in your face and it's death by a thousand cuts, yeah. right? It's just like getting a thousand paper cuts. Ultimately, you get a thousand paper cuts, you're going to bleed to death. Right, and that's that's what it was, and you just see him constantly interrupting you. And if someone is always in your face, always doing it, the level of stress that you're under of never having a second to breathe, like you just can't. Plus the body shots. Can you can you do me a favor and see how many body shots Holloway threw? I don't know if those numbers are going to be there, but I'm telling you what, it must have been north of 200 body shots alone. And I mean to get hit with that many body shots. He hit Cater with some body shots where you could see the soul leaving his eyes and he was just like ugh, sucked in. It was brutal, man. It was brutal. That was a that was a master class in how to overwhelm someone with with volume. It, it seemed as well though that like I think Holloway hit him with everything, like every shot under the sun as he were. He was going to the body with you know, body shots, kicking to the body, kicked him in the head, elbowed him to the face, elbowed him to the body, hit him in the face, like Every single strike you could think of, he seemed to land in that fight. And Kato must have been like, what the hell? Like, what do I block? What do I do? And it exposed, and this is, I think, the real story of the fight. It exposed a, a tactical error as well as a technical error for Calvin Cater, right? Because he, did, he thought he was the better boxer. A lot of people did. I thought he was the better yeah. boxer. I thought Max Holloway was the better MMA striker. But I thought Calvin Cater was the better pure boxer. Turns out that was not true, first of all. And second of all, Caterer did not have a backup plan for what to do if he was losing specifically the the punching, the the boxing, right? 
And, uh, you know, if you look at Volkanovski, how he fought Holloway, and if you look at how other people have fought Holloway that beat Max Holloway, uh, I mean, honestly, the only person to ever, like, outbox Max Holloway are Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. Yeah. That's it. They're the only people that could actually beat him. And Conor mixed in takedowns. Conor was able to get takedowns. Volkanovski was able to get takedowns. He was also able to clinch him and stick him up against the fence, which was a big story in both fights with Volkanovski because... In both fights, Holloway was coming on. In both fights, there were periods where his volume started to overwhelm Volkanovski, right? But he would clinch him. He would pin him against the cage. He would leg kick him when he tried to step in. He had intercepting things to do. The thing is, when Holloway comes in, when he closes the gap and tries to get close enough to touch you, Volkanovski kept kicking his legs. Then, when he wasn't kicking his legs, he would slip clinch, pin him up against the cage. Yeah. So he, he would either stuff him. He would either smother him with clinching when he came inside or he would kick his legs when he came inside. So he had tactics set up if the boxing wasn't working. And uh, Conor McGregor did the same thing. He was beating him on the feet, but remember, he tore his ACL in the fight and then he switched to takedowns and yeah. it worked. I mean, who the fuck takes down Max Holloway these days? But Conor was able to. It was earlier on, blah, blah, blah. I know all that shit, right? But still, nonetheless. And, uh, and then with Dustin Poirier, Holloway was still landing. He was pitter-pattering. But Poirier was actually able to land the power punches consistently, which Calvin Cater was not able to do. Yeah, yeah. Poirier just had a huge power advantage, it seemed, in that Holloway. And by the way, as well. if we're talking about legends and beasts, Dustin motherfucking Poirier, we're going to get to him <laughs> shortly. But, Jesus, what a beast, man. Dustin Poirier is one of the most underrated, under... I'm on a tangent. We'll get to Dustin Poirier. <laughs> well, let's finish let's up. Let's finish with... this one first. Yes. This is I get excited, dude. 2021, dude. <laughs> The UFC in January is fucking sweet. I'm fanboying hard right now on this. You know, I'm vibing from this fight. I was watching it on the edge of my seat. There were so many near. I felt like a, it felt like a. You ever watch a? You ever watch WWE? Uh, yeah. When, when you were young when or whatever. Yep. It felt like a WWE match where you have all these near falls. You ever see like? <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm going way into the the memory bank, but you know Jeff Hardy. Yep. I remember watching a match with Jeff Hardy and the Undertaker one time. Right, and the whole match was built around Undertaker's way too big. They were it was for the WWE Heavyweight Title, right? And the Undertaker's so much big, and the whole match was just the Undertaker beating the shit out of Jeff Hardy. And there were like six near falls. Like he would choke slam him, and then Jeff Hardy would kick out, and then he would fucking hit him with the last ride, and then he would kick out, and then he would tombstone him, and he would kick out. And there were like five of those near falls, right? And ultimately, I'm pretty sure the Undertaker ended up winning. But the, you just because he almost got finished so many times, and he was kick out, and you just admired the toughness in it. It reminded me of that, and in some ways, it's sad because Cater took so much damage. But like shit, you gotta respect the hustle of a man who literally, oh. from the brink of defeat, always came back. And it's like win, lose, or draw. Everybody respects that. Yeah, he was. Um, I think I think it could have been stopped in the third when he was absolutely getting leathered. But and he, he, he in hung, hindsight, he hung in it may have been better. Yeah, that he it would have been stopped earlier, but his corner gave him the benefit of the doubt. The, the clearly, he clearly the one thing about Holloway is you always feel someone's got a puncher's chance against him as well. Like he does leave himself open. He does get hit. He does get hit. So but, you can understand why the corner didn't throw in the towel. But the other most interesting stat, I don't know if you heard this stat during the broadcast. Max Holloway has had more rounds, more cage time, and more strikes thrown at him and never been knocked down than anybody in UFC history. He's never been knocked down. In all of his fights, with all the strikes, I mean, Jesus, with this fight, 
How many strikes? I don't know if you can look this up. Can you look up how many strikes Max Holloway has thrown in his entire career? I, I mean, can try. <laughs> I mean, this, this might be a shot in the dark, but I mean, 700 in this one fight. So with his whole UFC career, I mean, he must be several, several thousand strikes deep. Like many, many, many thousands of... I'm sure you can't find that number. No. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's a super weird thing to look up. But anyway, we, I don't want to belabor this point too much more because we got so much more things that we need to cover. But geez, what a legend, man. Max Holloway just... He reminds me of Tommy Hearns a little bit, right? Like the, the legendary boxer. Just... What a fucking dog. Anyway, let's go on. I'll, I'll, I'll go through the other ones a little quicker. Carlos Condit, Matt Brown was the co-main. A couple things immediately popped out to me in this fight. Number one, both of these fighters are a little over the hill. Yep. Number but, two, Matt Brown is way over the hill. He's 40 years old. To jump, to jump on that point, though, I actually like this, that they put in two older fighters together. Instead of fucking throwing them to one, like throwing one of them to some hungry... 23-year-old Dagestani who's an absolute axe murderer. You're right. You're right. That is the move. The only difference is, is like, 36 is not 40. Yeah. And first of all, the fight was surprisingly good. Um, I thought I thought the scorecard the scorecards were 30-27 across the board, which I can get behind, but also does not tell the story of the fight. Because the fight was really close. He was competitive, for sure. Like, Very. Yeah. I thought Matt Brown won the first round. Yep. And you could make an argument Matt Brown won the third round. But I edged Condit slightly. Condit won the second. So, I mean, I had it 2-1. to one, And the third round was razor close. Uh, Condit spent a little bit more on time on top. But Matt Brown was able to sweep him in the third round. And he also finished the round on top. Um, so, I mean, it was a really close fight. It was a good fight. But you could tell that Matt Brown was really gassed. I mean, listen, fighting at 40, yeah. 40 years old. There, there was a point in it where you actually just saw him taking like... Uh, <gasps> I saw his like, cheeks Oh, that's not good. Out. I know that feeling. I mean, listen, fighting at... Uh, I fought last when I was 27 or 28. That was hard. Imagine <laughs> 40 years old fighting. I mean, look at Yoel Romero, right? You see those... <gasps> you see the cheeks go... You know, listen, it's different when you're fighting at that, that age. But I thought the fight was good. It was the right fight to make. Uh, it was competitive throughout... Matt Brown landed some elbows as he always does. He's one of the best clinch fighters in the history of MMA. His clinch work is second to none uh, in terms of active UFC fighters. Good fight. Good to see Carlos Condit get some wins. He went on a bad skid there. And also, in my opinion about Carlos Condit, he is probably the closest thing to an uncrowned, undisputed champion that never was in the history of the UFC. Because that fight with Robbie Lawler was razor close yeah and Carlos Condit put up way more volume so it, Robbie Lawler's two fight his fight with Rory McDonald's fight with Carlos Condit are two of the most legendary title fights in history if you never watched them go do yourself a favor if you're new to MMA and you see Carlos Condit for the first time go and watch some of his old fights because uh, his fight with Robbie Lawler for the title was as close as any title fight can get he nearly decapitated GSP with a head kick I mean Four or five years ago, Carlos Condit, before his Nick Diaz fight, which was really disappointing, uh, before that fight, he had like a record of 28-2 and two with 27 finishes or something. Like his, his finish rate was like 90-plus percent. Yeah. Insane. Insane fit for a, not a heavyweight, not a light heavyweight to have. Now he doesn't have that percent finishing percentage. But back then when he was at his peak, to have over a 90% finishing rate as a welterweight is fucking crazy. 
So Carlos Condit is a legend, and the new school fans probably don't really know who he is too much. And that fight didn't necessarily show his killer instinct as well as some of his previous ones, but they're both starting to age a little bit. Yep. Uh, but what did you think about the fight? Did you think Condit won? Uh, yeah, I thought I thought it was a fair decision that Condit won. I think he just shaded it, uh, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Competitive fight. Did Except, you think thirty twenty seven across the board? No, I thought Brown won the first round. Me too. Yeah, me too. So I, I think you can make the argument that. he won the second round too, or the third round. Sorry, third, not yeah. the second, not the second. It, it was one of those ones where actually, if they'd have said draw and roll it back again, I'd have been fine with it. Or a split decision, I feel like could have been the move. Yeah. Either way, uh, it, it wasn't as dominant as thirty twenty seven would suggest. Good fight. It's good to see the older guys getting fights. I think. As long as these guys can compete with each other, that's the move when you're dealing with marquee fighters that have a name that are north of 35. Yep. Right? 35, 40, 41. Let them fight each other. Yes. Not the up and coming. But then look at Glover Teixeira, who's knocking off contenders, right? What a freak. Anyway, I digress. We talked. To, I sucked Glover's dick enough over the last two <laughs> podcasts. That I don't need to do it anymore. And uh, then we had the the three quick knockouts. All, for, all first round. Weren't okay, they? okay. So these were, man. Honestly, all three of them were surprises to me. Yeah. Uh, let's talk with Ponzinibbio. I honestly thought Ponzinibbio was one of the dark horses in this division, um, and taking nothing away from uh, Jing Liang the leech, but I think Ponzinibbio had a long layout. I think he's the better fighter. But he got knocked the fuck out by Li Jingliang. And uh, China, man. China's coming. They just opened a UFC PI in China. You got Wei Li Zhang. Uh, what's the other girl's name? The other top-ranked female Chinese fighter. Uh, she, don't know. I don't know if you can pull up the... Anyway, I'm, I'm digressing here. But there's another girl. I think she's a strawweight. Top five in the world. Also a Chinese fighter. You got uh, Shang Wei Li. Li Jingliang, who's the highest-ranked... No, no. Song Yadong. Oh, he's Korean. So is he is, no. Song, is Chinese or Korean? Yeah, Chinese. Right. He's the highest ranked male. Uh, and I talked to uh, Yang. Yang. Yeah, yeah. I talked to Yang about Yang him. Yang says he's fire. He beat Chito Vera. Yep. He beat, and granted, he went up. Wait, listen. Song Yudong is coming. He might be, other than Zhang Weili, he might be the first. He might be the first male. This guy is fucking good. He's young. If you're listening and... Uh, you know, you're Singapore Chinese and you're looking for a Chinese MMA fighter, male fighter to get behind. Everybody, look at Song Yudong. He is a fucking animal. He's legit. And Li Jingliang is actually a trailblazer. He came before. He's kind of OG now. Mm. I think he's the second or third male Chinese fighter in UFC history. And he came with a hard knockout. Left hook, caught him right at the edge of the chin. Boom, snapped his head around. Out. Ponzinibbio was... You could tell he was pissed. He's great. Ponzinibbio has had some awesome fights. He knocked out Neil Magny. He's knocked out some top 10 guys. Amazing win for uh, uh, Jingleon. Sucks a little bit for Ponzinibbio. He's a great fighter, but listen, he, you know, he, got, he got knocked the fuck out. Dan, Dan Hardy said something at first that sounded bizarre in the commentary along the lines of like, oh, well, if you miss the target, then you're not going to hit him or something like that. I forget the exact word. Right before he knocked him out, right? Yeah, right before he knocked him out, but... He worded it really weird, but basically, the head movement was so good from Jingliang that Ponzinibbio couldn't hit him, swung one too many times and missed and just got clipped. Yeah, like, he hit cold. him with this, dude, this is what, I, like, for those of you Muay Thai people out there, you get the most power, you get the most power at the very end of your punch, right? Like, okay, so if the camera's facing me, let's say I, I make contact here, 
right? My arm is not fully extended. If I make short contact, what the punch does is it pushes, right? So like if there's only this much space to travel for the punch to land, or if I hit you, like I'll give the camera a good view. Just if don't, I don't hit kill the you, mic. Yeah, I try not to knock and break the mic. If I hit you and my elbow is bent, the punch is gonna push you, right? Yeah. So like if I meet here, when the contact makes, it will push you rather than snapping at the end of the punch, right? Like right there, if I hit you, when I turn my knuckle over in boxing, they call it the whip, right? The whip is right, right there. Watch my knuckle. My pinky's in, my pinky's out, right? This is bent elbow, right? As I snap the punch over, boom, that turn in the last inch of the punch where you snap the punch over, they call it the whip. That part of the punch is what translates the most to power. So if somebody throws a left hook at you, like Jing Lianda did, and I catch you right at the edge of the chin with the punch fully turned over, that is lights out. Yep. That is 100% lights out. If I hit you with the elbow bent, it's going to push you. It will still hurt, and it can still knock you out. But if you catch him right at the end, that's that shit that just stiffens you. Sometimes it looks like it doesn't even land. They call them ghost punches. Have you ever seen these? Like you'll see people catch barely at the end and they're like, how did that knock them out? Because that's, that's where the kinetic energy is at its maximum, right? It's right at the very end of the punch because you've had that much space for the punch to travel and generate power. And it was one of those things like he just caught him, shoop. But all you see, you don't see his head move. You see his chin go like this and then his head goes boom and then just stiff. I, mean, uh, I went to an MMA, watched an MMA event in China once, some uh, Chinese MMA organization, and it, there was a, literally a punch landed like that, and it looked sc super sketchy because all the Chinese fighters seemed to be winning, and you're like, oh, has everyone been like paid to take a dive in this fight? And um, I can't remember the fighters' names, but the guy got cracked, but you didn't see it. It was like, like you said, a ghost punch, and everyone started booing, thinking he'd just thrown the fight and stuff like that. Oh, he got rushed to hospital with a fractured skull. Oh, like, yeah, listen here. That will fuck you up. This is, just, this is just people that don't know what they're looking at. Because, mm. like, if I ever see that, that end of the... You ever see those, like... The biggest one is, like... The most obvious one that's hard to see is, like, the straight punch. Right? Because, like, if I hit you with a straight punch and my elbow is bent and it's early on the punch, it pushes your head and it looks very dramatic because your head snaps back right yeah and it just looks really impressive but what you want is for that straight punch to land at the end i don't want your head to move at all because at the very end right on the chin when that punch fully extends you won't see the head snap back but you'll see people just barely look like they got touched and they'll go stiff yep that's because at the very end of the punch you have the maximum amount of force and if you turn that punch it's brutal. That's exactly what happened. That left punch clipped him right in the chin. The body doesn't move. Just the head. Shoop. And then that nerve is shut off. Boom. Good night. Stiff as a board. Good night. China represented. Listen, the UFC is more international than it has ever been. I, I think I saw a statistic that right now there are the least amount of American and Brazilian champions in UFC history, which makes sense. Yeah. With well, their, their Chinese fighters. Him. I mean, there's still a lot Kiwis, of them. Kiwis, Aussies. Two, two African-born fighters. Yep. Uh, and then if you go into the girl, China, you have... Who else do we have? Uh, Brazil. We still got a couple yeah, of Brazil. Yeah, still Brazil. a couple of Americans. A couple African-born Americans. Um, but it's just the UFC, the Dagestanis, the, the Russians, the Africans, the... 
you know, you got Darren Till, the Europeans, you got Vittori, right? You got the, who's the Italian guy that knocked, let's go to the next one. Joaquin Buckley got knocked out. Joaquin yeah. Buckley is the guy with the, the highlight reel knockout of last year, the jump spinning back kick. Hey, uh, I mean, uh, another Italian. So Marvin Vittori came on the scene, like had the split decision with Adesanya and just won like a couple weeks ago. And then now, what's his name? Uh, the, the, what's his name? The Chirico. The Chirico, yeah. And uh, I mean, I was pretty high on Joaquin Buckley. Apparently, he's a little bit of a dick. <laughs> All the rumors that come out about him are that he's a little bit of a dick. To be but, fair, if I kick someone the way he kicked someone that time, I'd be a dick. I mean, I don't care. I don't care if he's a dick. That knockout was so amazing yeah. that I'm a fan. Like, that's all it took for me. But um, the Chirico, he he did what I always tell my students to do, right? If I'm in my guard and I'm like this, and someone throws a high kick, the first block is here, right? If you're uh, if you're quick enough, it's always better to get a cross block because yeah. you want the force of the kick to be dissipated across two hands. Otherwise, it can break your arm. If I hold block like this and you kick me in the middle of my forearm and you throw a power kick, a hard kick, it can literally cave in my forearm, let alone your wrist and your hand, which is even weaker, right? Yeah. You get a little bit of the glove, which takes away the ability to like break your hand, but the point is it will cave that shit in. So you want to get the cross block also, so that way the force of the kick is dissipated across two hands, less likely to break your arm. But what uh, happened to Buckley was he blocked like this and he tried to get the thing across, but the kick hit him in the temple over top of the glove. And I always tell uh, my guys, learn how to high kick. It's, it takes a lot of precision. People always want to kick below the ear. They want to kick the neck or they want to kick the jaw, which is definitely the lights out. That's the, the nerve. Yeah. Right? You hit that, it's lights out. But if you hit somebody in the temple, just here, right? hit somebody in the temple, it completely takes away your equilibrium. Your legs are gone. And your legs are gone for a long time. Like it's like 20, 10 seconds, you're like useless, gone. You're conscious because it didn't hit the nerve, right? But your legs are fucking gone. And he he went up like that and it was the perfect placement just above the fingertips and it didn't slide off, it went through and around. And uh, just like that, Walking Buckley, who's you know one of the hot prospects after the jumping, spinning back kick knockout and then he got another quick knockout after that. So, uh, but a beautiful high kick. He's young. He's 26. And uh, Dich what's his name again? Can you? It's, it's Ch, the first syllable. The Chirico. The Chirico, yeah. The Chirico. Uh, I mean, I didn't know about this guy before that, but I know about him now. Yep. Italian MMA. Italian MMA is coming. I mean, this is the thing about martial arts. It's so fascinating, right? Between like Giorgio Petrosian and Marvin Vittori, and now I have this guy. And then you're, we talked about the African fighters. You got Darren Till out of London. You got Rocky Edwards. You got the Russian fighters. You got the Brazilians still, of course. The Americans, the Canadians. Like, it's you know, becoming a, a global sport. Like, the every, most it's in global. every country. It's like, the most global sport. Yeah. What sport has more global, high-level success than, than, than MMA? But you switch across to the one as well. They've got fighters, you know, we've got Then Japan's from represented, Singapore's represented, Thailand's represented. And then you have the Korean fighters still. You have the Japan fighters. Um, the Chinese fighters are, are coming hard in the UFC, especially the ladies. The Chinese women are killing it. They're yep. killing it. It's fascinating. It's so fascinating how I remember when the UFC was all American and Brazilians. And the level of international talent is, is such that. Man, it's such a great thing to watch. Anyway, let's get to, let's hit the last one up. We got another knockout, right? Uh, yeah, that was 
that was Buckley Soriano. DiCirico. Now we have. Uh, Good luck. I not, saw this fight. Not, not saying that first name, but I'm going for Soriano, Soriano and Todorovic. <laughs> so uh, both of these guys were undefeated. It was a pretty good fight. Uh, I enjoyed the fight. I'm still pretty new on both of these guys, and they both only had like 10-ish fights each, roughly. So they're still pretty new, but they both look good. That uh, guy that lost the, the, the... Say it one more time. I hate Wait. fucking mispronouncing names. Todorovic or... Yeah, that. Something like that. <laughs> I mean, he, he was opting for head movement. Hands low, moving his head, got clipped multiple times. The commentators kept talking about it. All you new fighters, listen, if you put your hands down, you better have Roy Jones Jr. level reflexes. You, you need to be Max Holloway to do that. Basically. I mean, there are a couple advantages. I remember when Connor fought Khabib, Connor came out with his hands low. Yeah. That was strategic because he's concerned about underhooking. He believed his striking was better. If you're really confident in your striking, there's a couple advantages people – People don't understand this. There's a few advantages to keeping your hands low and not having them up in the traditional stance where your hands are up above your chin, right? First of all, your vision is clearer. I'm not blocking my view, especially, it doesn't happen so much with MMA gloves, but with boxing gloves, right? If you're doing the shield, the tight block, yeah, uh, it blocks your vision. So that's one thing. Number two, uh, if your hands are lower, you're better positioned to block takedowns, to sprawl, to underhook, to crossface, all that shit. And the number three, you can get away with it if you have really good distance control and super quick reflexes. Like, way quicker than, like, the regular person who probably thinks they have reflexes. Like, legit, like, Roy Jones Jr., that fucking fast twitching, break the shoulder, bone slipping and rolling and all that. You got to have on-point reflexes. If you have all that shit and you still have good defense, you can get away with that stuff. If I coached a fighter who, in 10 fights, was relying purely on head movement i'd be like dude let's go back to the drawing board here you better be max holloway you better be izzy you better be some of these people anderson who still got knocked the fuck out by doing guess what putting his hands down and trying to use his head movement worked when he was younger didn't work as he got older um and i feel like that was the story of that fight he thought his reflexes and his head movement would be enough wasn't two pros two undefeated fighters someone's got to lose the zero he didn't exactly learn his lesson though, did he? Because no, he got yeah, because it happened more than he got clipped more than once and put and down more than once. The worst part was the the, the ring awareness because there was one time where he got clipped trying to pull or slip when his head was against the cage. Yeah, and he got fucking cracked because he had the barrier behind him. You try to pull, you try to slip, and lean off when you got no space to move behind you. Not good. <laughs> you got to clinch then, right? I got to if the cage gets behind me, I got to close the gap and clinch. Right? There's no head movement anymore. There's no shuffle stepping. There's no pivoting. Like I got to clinch and crowd i can't slip anymore um but you know young fighters it'll happen the fight card was amazing i didn't catch the undercard because i was working i caught all of the main cards. is there anything else on there worth worth talking I about didn't i didn't see, see any of the undercards so all righty so we can just jump, let... jump on to next week yeah uh where do we start with first uh so we got the um kaiser magni midweek okay well, yeah yep. let's go with that let's I'm go with that up. so well, yeah, the, the main one's uh, top of the card. Yeah. Michael Chiesa, Neil Magmi. Should be a good one. That's a good one. It's tough to call that fight. Tough to figure that one out. I would probably go with Chiesa if I had to choose. Um, I think Magni's the better striker, and he's got really good defensive jiu-jitsu and defensive stand-up. He just doesn't have the... The thing with Magni is he doesn't really have a lot of aggression. Yeah. He's very good at neutralizing people. He's very good at defending. He's very good at all this kind of stuff, but you don't see... He doesn't have that mean streak right he just doesn't have that those aggressive tendencies this is a nice midweek card 
I think Michael Chiesa will probably get it because I think he's a little bit more tenacious. It's a close fight. I'm not going to say it's going to be a landslide. Magny could still win, but I think I favor Chiesa in that fight. Second fight, Worley Alves and who? I haven't seen Worley Alves fight in ages. Can you pull up Worley Alves and see the last time that he fought? I remember he fought on the Ultimate Fighter under Chael Sonnen. Um, Who's he fighting? What's the guy's name? Uh, Morin Lazez. Don't know. Don't know this guy. Do not know him. 10 and 1, so reasonable. Good record. Uh, Worley hasn't fought in a long time. I don't know how he'll do. Um, let's, let's move down. What else is on that main card? Uh, you got... <laughs> I, I mean, on, on the one hand, it's really good that it's become an international sport the world over. And on the other hand, I can't say any of these names. So, you know, it's a tough <laughs> <Yeah>. one. <laughs> you know, it's a give and take, dude. It's a give and take. <laughs> Mata Ferry, or Roxanne's fighting. Who's she fighting? That's a good... Arusho, that's a good fight. Yeah. I think that should be the, the co-main event. Roxanne Mata Ferry, the... The most unassuming fighter in... Can you do me a favor and just Google her? <laughs> because she looks like she could be... Uh, first of all, she looks like a soccer mom. She looks like she's a... Uh, I don't know, just the least... She could be like a university professor or something. She just looks like a nerd. And she is actually a nerd. She likes nerd culture. Look at her wearing a... Here you go. A Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, pull that picture up. Look at Roxy. Look at that. Yeah, and that girl could beat your ass, and you don't even <laughs> no, know. She, she's she a will jiu-jitsu black belt. Kick shit out of people. Listen, Legit. Listen, she, she's a fucking nerd. Look at the Super Saiyan. Can you pull up the one next to her with the Goku hair? <laughs> listen, this girl's a nerd. She looks like a nerd, but also she'll fuck you up. She just derailed one of the biggest female prospects in the UFC. Aspen Ladd, she crushed her. Um, and she fought for the title. I like her a lot. She's actually one of my favorite female fighters, just because she's so unassuming. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That was my most interesting fight uh, on that card. Let's go down a little more. No, let me just bring it back more up. Fights. More fights? Upset, yep. And Roxy. Let's see if there's anyone else tossing in. them on there. Okay, all right. The other ones are, are some up-and-comers and some international fighters. Good stuff, nice midweek card. We'll throw a nice, quick break Nice build-up for the week. big one. Totally. And let's get to the granddaddy. Let's get to the granddaddy of them all. Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, Dan Hooker, Michael Chandler. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Man, I'm excited for this fight. Uh, do you want to just look down, uh, well, look down the card quickly, see if you see any others, and then go to the... Yeah, just read out, to, read out the main card. And so we've got Jessica I, John Calderwood. Should be That's interesting. Good one too. That's a good one, too. Um, Matt Phillip, oh, no, give in. <laughs> that one. That one, yeah. that's on. Mariana Rodriguez and Amanda Hebas. Amanda Hebas is a straight up prospect. She's one of the biggest, she's the girl that just beat uh, Paige Van Zandt, right? Fucked her up in the first round. Yep. She's, I like her a lot. That, she might be a superstar. Watch. She might be a superstar. She's got a really outgoing personality. She's very bubbly, she's hilarious, and she kicks ass. Um, so, shall we start with Connor and Poirier? Yeah. Well, why don't you start, Jake? What do you think? What's your initial thoughts? I think McGregor, I just think uh, he looks hungry again. Uh, by all accounts, like, oh, what's his coach called? His coach name's... Um, Who, Connors? Yeah, Connors coach. Uh, Owen Roddy's his boxing coach. Yeah. John Cavanaugh's his Yeah, jo- John Cavanaugh says, you know, he's, uh, he's back, he's hungry. He really, really wants well, this. Well, 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 all the same yeah, old yeah. stuff. They all but say that shit, dude. <laughs> I, I'm, mainly, I'm mainly basing this on the fact that 
I thought Cerrone had a chance against him yeah. and was proven massively wrong within what 45 seconds yeah. something like that and I just think I just think he's too powerful for Poirier I think he's Poirier plays into his game too much like Poirier's going to come forward Poirier's going to throw punches at him and McGregor's one of the best if not the best counter strikers in the game Yeah, and he's got the power to back it up so I just and he beat him once that way. Yeah. beat him once already yep. so I wish we could play that fight the first 45 seconds of the first fight between Poirier and McGregor are so interesting. If you didn't, I was talking about this yesterday in one of my classes. Uh, if you want to know one of the many reasons why, why Conor McGregor is so fascinating, go and watch the first uh, round. I think it finished in the first round anyway. Maybe the second round, the first fight, I can't remember. But uh, go and watch the first like two minutes of that fight, right? One of the things that makes Conor McGregor so interesting, and, and for me, like I teach boxing, pure boxing, I teach Muay Thai, Jiu Jitsu, MMA, I teach all of it, right? And uh, so I understand the stylistic differences of, of the things that you do. Like, like Conor, for example, he's got a very boxing style. Like he turns the front toe inward. He has one shoulder very lead forward, right? Traditionally, Muay Thai and kickboxers will be more square, right? Shoulders are sort of square like this. And the reason for that is that it allows me to check kicks, number one. As I turn my lead toe in and I bring my rear shoulder back and my lead shoulder forward, it opens up the angle both for the kick to the body and the kick to the leg. In order to check kicks, I need to be square with you so I can lift up my shin and block it. Now, that, that is good and it's bad. Boxers do that because it adds length to their punches and allows them to turn their shoulders. If I'm square with you, it's the thing I just talked about power, how power translates to, to, to punching, right? If I'm square, I only have so much rotation on my punch, mm. right? So I'm square. If I fully extend and I turn my back shoulder, I get this much space for the punch, right? I can go from... Square to rear shoulder being in front. If I'm lead shoulder in front heavy, now when I turn that punch, I'm getting three or four more inches of travel for that yeah. punch, which means it's going to translate to a lot more power, right? And there's also other things like lead hooks that are easier whenever I have my front foot turned in, right? So there's a stylistic advantage to pure boxers doing MMA. The problem is the kicking. Right, the problem is the kicking. It changes everything. You turn your lead toe in, it opens up the body kick, and opens up the leg kick. Now, what makes Conor McGregor's style so interesting is because he's in between a square stance and a sideways stance. If I'm in a sideways stance, it's a pure Taekwondo stance, right? Like, if I'm facing you, my dick is to the wall. Yeah. So I'm purely side, right? Boxing is like in the middle. I'm turning my front toe in at like a 45-degree angle. My lead toe lines up with my rear heel. Right, that's the boxing stance. And then the Muay Thai stance, we totally square up, right? My front knee is pointed to you. My lead toe is pointing pretty much to you. It allows me to lift up my leg to check. allows me to catch kicks. allows me to do a lot of stuff. What makes Conor McGregor so fascinating is that he operates from a boxing stance, and he fights like a boxer, but he's also got really good Taekwondo kicks. Yeah. So if you go back and you watch the first round of the fight with Poirier within the first 30 seconds he's thrown spinning back kicks he's thrown hook kicks he's throwing wheel kicks he's throwing straight punches he's throwing side kicks he's throwing wheel kicks he's throwing front kicks the deficiencies that the style of having the lead foot turned in uh, allow are made up for in the fact that he's also can fight from a sideways stance which not many people can do. Not many can, people can throw the lead leg side kick. Not many can throw a quick spinning back kick or a hook kick or a wheel kick and have professional level boxing. 
So that, that's what makes his style so fascinating is that he's combining boxing and taekwondo at a high level or boxing and karate style kicks at a high level. And it, it involves a slight variation in stance and it has a flavor to it that you don't typically see that's uniquely Conor McGregor. And so, and then he finishes Poirier with, of course, the punch, right, with the straight punch. But he hit him with some nasty. Within the first ten seconds, he threw a hook kick. Yeah. You know how many people throw hook kicks? Like fucking zero people throw hook kicks, right? And it was just so fascinating to watch him set up his boxing style left straight while also fighting a southpaw. They're both southpaw, but then having all these spinning techniques. It's just God. It was one of the things that makes him so fucking fascinating. Plus his power and his gab and his ability to talk and all that kind of stuff. I just watched it like last week and I'm just like, damn, that is so distinctly Conor McGregor. Right? That style. Yeah. It's, it's interesting though. That there's not been, I've not seen any shit talking or anything yet as well. Because like, he's known for that psychological warfare and it's worked 90% of his career. The two times it hasn't was... Khabib and Diaz. Have you noticed yeah. it never happened since Khabib? <laughs> yeah. Never happened. He was super chill to Cerrone. He, I mean, Jose Aldo, he fucking nearly like made <laughs> it. Gave it Jose yeah. Aldo's temples throbbing at Dude, the start of that fight. It's everybody, so Khabib, the Dolly, the insulting his religion, all, all of the shit like Chad Mendez, talk mad shit. Everybody talk mad shit, right? Yeah. Ever since Khabib humbled him, he hasn't said shit. No. He has not come on that hard ever since. So it'd be, but it'd be interesting to see like from tomorrow in the build-up to fight week, if he if he brings out the psychological warfare as well, starts laying in. Yeah. Ah, I've beat you once before. Well, he's already got the psychological advantage because yeah. he beat him the first time, so he, he's already got the advantage there. Um, now, if we if we shift the the lens to Poirier a little bit, thing about Poirier is he's so much better since the first fight. Like, first of all, Poirier has not been finished like that since. Yeah. He's extremely durable. He got finished in that fight, but he's really durable. His boxing defense is better now. People that think because of the first fight that Connor's just going to go in and sleep him, no. you can't say that. And I kind of think of like the Nate Diaz fight. If Dustin Poirier proves to be durable enough early, I believe 100% that Dustin Poirier is the grittier fighter. He's willing to go to a darker place. He's in better shape. I, I 100%, nobody can tell me that Conor McGregor is tougher than Dustin Poirier. Nobody. He's not. He's not. Conor McGregor quits. Dustin Poirier never quits. You separate him from his consciousness or he's still fighting you. That's it. Conor McGregor has quit. He's tapped. He's run out of gas. He shot in on Nate Diaz after getting tapped out. He took a shot on Nate Diaz? Really? I mean, Khabib dropped him. He, Khabib tapped him with a jaw crank. Yeah. Conor could have let his jaw break. He could have. Poirier let his fucking jaw break. And keep fighting. Yes. Yeah. Listen. I'm not saying Conor McGregor is not tough. That's not true. But in the qualities of cardiovascular fitness and toughness, Poirier wins. He's not as fast twitch as McGregor, though. He's still got a lot of power for that weight class, but he's not as fast twitch. Conor McGregor has proven to have a really solid chin because he's never been finished with strikes. He's been dropped and submitted. Khabib dropped him. Nate Diaz didn't drop. I mean, pretty much dropped yeah. him. Made him shoot and finished him, right? So, if... Dustin Poirier gets out of the second round, and and, Con and Khabib, uh, sorry, uh, Poirier can start to clinch him and start to close the gap and all that kind of stuff. Dustin Poirier can win. Yeah. He's the tougher fighter. He's the grittier fighter. He's the more in shape fighter, and he's also the more active fighter. He's not living off hundreds of millions. He doesn't have Connor's money, and it's like what I think it was Holyfield said. You know, like, you know, if you're sleeping in silk sheets, 
it's tough to go to that place that you were when you were poor and get like Dustin Poirier's got that grit. Connor doesn't. And it's the same level. It's not to say he's not gritty, but Connor's finesse. Dustin Poirier's grit. So, to me, it's all about surviving that early onslaught. Conor McGregor only has super amazing flash wins in the first two rounds. Yeah. He's won fights late, but it's sketchy, right? Like the second Diaz fight, all of the fights that have gone later have ebbed and flowed, and sometimes Conor's won them. But, dude, if he doesn't finish you, he, he struggles. R- round three, Conor seems to just, his gas tank just seems to empty completely. And then he, he seems to get it back in round four and five. So a bit, it, yeah, a, a bit. bit. But he doesn't no, finish he, people. Yeah, it's not the start of the fight where yes. he can absolutely crack you. And, so and, in some sense, him. he's like BJ Penn in that way, right? BJ Penn was always a quick starter. He could still catch you, and he could point you over a long period of time. But he didn't have that finishing power in the fourth and fifth. Mm. Dustin Poirier has that late all throughout the fight. Um, so it's a really fascinating matchup. If I'm Mike Brown, if I'm the head coach of Dustin Poirier ATT. All I'm trying to do is get Dustin Poirier to the third round. Yeah. That's it. I'm clinching him. <laughs> I'm wearing out his arms. I'm slip clinching. I'm, gr- I'm going to go, shoot for doubles. I- I'm not trying to necessarily win the first two. I'll give those away. Let Connor get tired. Even, just push him. Keep your defense tight. Wear his arms out. Pin him against the cage. If, if Dustin Poirier tries to win the fight early, it'll be bad. Yeah. Um, as the fight draws on, it's better and better. Then I think Poirier's toughness and grit can show itself. Uh, but I don't think it'll be the first fight unless it's the first fight. Unless he catches him <laughs> in the first round. I don't think it will happen. But if it does, that's, I think, Connor's best chance to win easily. I don't think it will happen like that, although it may. You just, this is the thing with Connor as well. Like, you just don't know because of what he did to Cowboy in the last fight. Like, I never forget that Eddie Alvarez fight Yeah, where... Same first two rounds. Eddie first Alvarez. two rounds. Donald Cerrone. Oh when he beat Poirier. When he beat all these people, it happened early. Yeah, it happened early, right? And and can he do that? To, can he do that to Poirier? Is the, the question, I suppose. And you've got to say, well, yeah, yeah, he can. I'm not saying oh, he's he going can. to. Oh, he, he can. Hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he certainly. And can. then if that happens, he certainly can. This over. is why uh, this fight, in my opinion, comes down to tactics, mm. which is not a fucking oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Winning a fight comes down to tactics, right? I mean, it doesn't take a fucking genius to figure that to figure that out. But uh, I mean, if I'm if I'm uh, Mike Brown, if I'm Dustin Poirier, you just have to get him out of the first round, out of the first half of the second round. He has to be very calculating with his aggression because Connor is going to ju- he's going to do what he always, he's going to shuffle forward. He's going to take the middle of the octagon. His hands are going to be low. He's going to be doing this. He's going to be telling him to come on. Poirier can't bite on that shit. He can't bite on that shit. Um, and this is why the psychological warfare might start this week in the presses and stuff like that. Yeah, if I'm Connor, Connor, that's Connor what I'm doing. To come forward. Absolutely. If I'm Completely. Connor, that's what I'm so, doing. Try to goad him in, right? He yep. stands better chances of winning the more that happens. Um, and we'll just quickly throw in the fact oh, that... Just, uh, just a, a little fight on the card there. Just the, just the co-main that they stuck in cheekily. Are we on about now? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Well, and, and one more thing on the, on the Poirier-McGregor uh, fight is just that... Whoever wins this fight will likely be facing Khabib next. Because they, Dana White's already said, basically the, the news has been Dana White and Khabib met. Uh, they're going to watch the fight if some crazy shit happened. If it's enough, worth bringing him back. But the fact that he's even willing to have that conversation yeah. and go there suggests to me that this fight is going to happen. Khabib wants 30-0, not 29-0. Do, do you think potentially, though, like say Poirier wins? Because if McGregor wins, then I reckon Khabib's just going to come back if Poirier because, finishes because, Connor 
You think then Khabib that's will come what, back That's what that? I mean. If it's kind of a dull affair and one guy edges the other, maybe Khabib's like, fuck it. If yeah. either one of them finishes the other one or it's a really amazing fight, Khabib will come back. But if, let's, let's say Poirier edges Connor, and the fight's blah. Like, you know, Khabib He's fucked him up. He that. fucked them both up. Yeah. He fucked them both up. But, but if, I think, if it's dramatic... I think if Connor wins, even if it's a shit fight, you're Khabib. Yes. How much money are you going to make off that? And, and you're going to be entirely confident you've got him beat. Yes. You're going to come back. I will say I th- that I, I think... Die. I will say that I think the Connor fight is more difficult for Khabib in terms of styles. Um, but, I mean, I, either way, whoever wins has their work cut out for them. Because <laughs> Khabib is still the man. He's yeah. the fucking man. Everyone else is just kept playing catch-up, right? Uh, so anyway, let's move on to another amazing fight, man. Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler. Hi, yeah, w- welcome to the UFC, Michael Chandler. Here's Dan yeah. Hooker for you. Listen, Have fun. I- I'm still favoring Dan Hooker in this fight. I- I'm going to pick Dan Hooker in this fight. He's a beast. His fight with Paul Felder, his fight with Dustin Poirier. He's had, he knocked out Gilbert Burns, by the way, who's the number one contender, one weight class higher. He's training with Eugene Behrman at City Kickboxing with Volkanovski and Adesanya. His camp is amazing. Uh, he's getting better. He's hilarious, too. He reminds me of Max Holloway a little bit. I watched his most recent interview on uh, Ariel Hawani's show, and he's cracking jokes. He's saying funny shit. It's all lighthearted. Like, he's got a really interesting personality. If, if you're not a Dan Hooker fan, check that out. Michael Chandler, I've watched many of his fights. He's, uh, he's a little older now. He's been in the game a long time. He's a scrappy, brawling wrestler, boxer. Um, he fights a little bit like, who would you say he fought like? Uh, a lot of takedowns, a lot of high-level boxing. It's hard to pick as someone who's exactly like him, but. He's a tough one because in Singapore, like I've, I've seen a few of Chandler's fights, but I've not seen that many because we don't really get to Bellator. Because yeah. he was Bellator champ. Yeah, he was yeah, Bellator yeah, champ. yeah, yeah. But, but then, he's lost a lot in Bellator. He lost to Will Brooks twice, who fought in the UFC and washed out in a few fights. He just recently lost to... Um, oh, can you pull up Michael Chandler's record? Uh, is it Pitbull, Patricky? I think it's Patricky Pitbull. Uh, just, he lost to him, right? He lost his most recent fight by knockout to, to Patricky. And um, I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll pull up his record and then yep. put it up on the screen and see the, how. The last time I actually saw him fight, I didn't see his last fight, but I saw the one where he got... Where his leg just shut down. Oh, that was against Primus. Yeah, Brent Primus. But that was a crazy fight. He would have beat that guy. Um, all right, yeah, can you make that? Let's look at his record. He's had some losses, but he's always gritty. He's always tough. So he beat Benson Henderson in whatever fight. And then he lost uh, some no-name. And then he lost to Patricky by TKO. Go down a little bit. But, oh, yeah, so he went to Ben Primus. Never oh. fought him again after that. Oh, no, he did. No, so oh, he, 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 he lost him to take yeah, out so stuff. That's right, I remember yeah. that now. Uh, going down a little bit. Benson Henderson before that again. Old Ben Henderson, like. And then uh, Will Brooks. Yeah, Will too. Brooks lost to Will Brooks twice. Eddie Alvarez Eddie beat Alvarez. him. And then he beat him before that, though. He beat Eddie before that. Oh, yeah. See there, submission. So, listen. Michael Chandler definitely belongs in this conversation. He is straight up legit. He could 100% be competing for the title. I'm not saying that he's not there yet, but the question marks are there. The, the, you know. Well, we're definitely going to find out on Sunday when he gets Listen, thrown in against Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker is not someone that you want to fight in your first fight in the UFC. <laughs> no. That's, make no mistake about that. Um, but it will answer a lot of questions. Yeah. It will answer a lot of questions. I don't know what they do with him if he loses. Um, Dan Hooker could should shoot straight up there 
if he gets the fight, great fight, perfect fight. Makes way more sense than throwing him in there as the backup with uh, Poirier and Khabib. Like, although he does present an interesting challenge to Khabib because he is a really, really good wrestler. Really good wrestler. So uh, I'm going to watch this one. I'm excited. It'll be interesting to see how Michael Chandler does in the UFC. I don't think his career is going to last very long. Um, I think he's at the end of his prime. Yeah. He's maybe got four fights left where he can compete at the highest level. So if he's going to do it, I think he's got to do it now. Um, Dan Hooker's younger, like experienced, savvy, coming off of three insane fights. Uh, see, do you think if whichever way McGregor, whichever way the fights go, Khabib doesn't come back, who do you think? What do you think the title fight is? If Khabib whoever wins this back? fight, yeah, whoever wins so this the fight, the winner of these two, yeah, yeah. going up, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I think. Because uh, they've invested so much time and media into Michael Chandler anyway. Yeah. That if he wins, they got to give it to him. He was already supposed to fill in for the title fight. Dan Hooker beats him. You know, he had that close fight with Poirier. He had that close fight with Paul Felder. I think he's right there. All right, what else we got? Let's do a quick quick finish through, and then we'll talk about some other shit. Uh, there's a one coming up this weekend. No, but there, what, can we hit the rest of the main card from that? Oh, the rest that of the main card? Because we only did the main and the co-main, right? I just want to Oh, see. no, we, we went through it quickly. Oh, we did already? yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, cool. So we got the one on Friday. Uh, this card is not as crazy as some of the most recent ones have been. Aoki's fighting. Um, they have uh, kickboxing, kickboxing world title fight. And then Aoki's fighting uh, Nakashima. Nakashima. Can you pull up the whole card? Uh, yep, try and get it. Oh, wait, let me cut to you while I find it. I mean, I don't get as pumped for Aoki fights these days as I used to. Uh, he's definitely on the tail end of his prime, but I'm happy that there's MMA in Singapore. And the big story here is that they have the crowd back for the first time since Circuit Breaker. So there will be some audience members in the stand. So uh, just trying to find info, the card. Here maybe? we go. More info. Synopsis. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Okay, can you pull that up there? And I can't. Okay, let's see. So you got Kickboxing okay, World Championship, Championship at the top. What's that? What's that weight class? Bantamweight. Bantamweight. Okay, so we got a Bantamweight kickboxing fight. Aoki's fighting Nakashima. That should be a pretty decent fight. We've got... No, was that a Muay Thai? Uh, yeah, heavyweight kickboxing. Oh, heavyweight kickboxing. Pull it in a bit for you. Okay. Oh, uh, Sebastian is fighting. Okay, that's a good fight. So go down a little bit. Uh, Sebastian Katastam, he's the former welterweight champion. Uh, he lost to Ben Askren, and then he regained the title. He was the champion before that. Um, he's fighting uh, Abdulayev. Good fight. Good fight. Keep going down. Atom White fight. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, not bad. We got Aoki and we got some kickboxing fights. By the way, the one kickboxing in Muay Thai, if you're not a huge fan, they always deliver. So, I, I don't know all of these people, uh, but those fights always deliver. I'm definitely going to watch at least the, the, the co-main and the main. Uh, MMA's back in Singapore. Not only is it back, but there's also crowds. So this is all positive stuff. Looking forward to this. There was uh, the crowd. That threw me today. The crowd. The oh, crowd yeah. The, the, crowd, was also the crowd started back chanting. I was like, right. Oh, there's a crowd. Yeah, yeah. I, I forgot about that. Great call. <laughs> so the crowd's back in the... I'm just happy that this is positive signs. Yeah. That life is like getting back to normal. We have crowds here. I can't wait. Jake and I were just talking on the podcast or before the podcast about how BJJ will be coming back soon. Local competitions. One of the things that I've been super excited on this podcast to do is break down local competitions. I want to go to the BJJ competitions to talk about all the Singaporean guys who are kicking ass in the ADCC or in the Grapple Asia or in the whatever it is. 
I want to talk about like the SFC guys who fight, Lion City, Alvinong, when his fight promotion comes up. I mean, I really envision this podcast to also shout out all the local fighters who nobody knows. Like, I want to get, like, Kai Shong on here who's a pro fighter, and I want to get, of course, Tiff and all the, but, like, the low, the purple belts and the blue belts who, who are kicking ass, I want to talk about them, and I want to discuss them and, and really hit that local niche for the amazing martial arts that exist in Singapore, but pretty much ever since the podcast has been going, there just hasn't been anything. No, one, yeah, one or two tournaments, I think, but. In the early, but the early yeah. days, we were still trying to figure out everything and what we were going to do and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, I'm really looking forward to that, uh covering more local content we'll get to that as soon as it is oh <sighs> crazy month uh what else do we got dude we, we covered all the things that i wanted you uh we spoke about a few of the fight announcements is it official stipe and ganu yeah stipe and ganu rematch is in uh march and <laughs> do, you, do you think stipe uh, sorry do you think ganu's learned any takedown defenses for this one <laughs> i don't know man i don't know what to think about this fight because one stipe is old as fuck number two uh Ngannou's looks so good. It, I don't know how you feel. After the first Stipe Ngannou fight, it always kind of felt to me that like Ngannou was just the uncrowned champ. Not in the sense, because Stipe beat him, but in the sense that it seems like Francis, his prime will arrive yeah, as rising. Stipe's declining. Yeah. And like, can Stipe, after those brutal fights with DC, can he take the punch after the fights with Ngannou? Remember, Ngannou... Landed some hard shots at him. He got knocked out by DC in the first round quickly with like a light punch. Then after that, he had to fight DC again twice yeah. in fights that and, were and crazy. And DC landed a lot of punches. The second fight against DC, he was getting you know the shit knocked out of him until he changed his tactics. The first one he so, was too. Yeah. The first one he was too. Like DC won most of those rounds. Yeah. He lost the fights fairly. Like Stipe won, but. But I mean, Stipe ate a lot of shots, and then like you got to think Francis is getting better. He's younger. D, uh, Stipe is getting older. Can he survive the first and second round? Can Francis, if he doesn't knock him out early, rally late? I mean, there's so many questions about this fight. I find it very hard to pick Stipe with the wear and tear that he's had after the first Francis fight, in, including his whole career. Like, say what you want about Francis. He's lost some fights, but he's never been blasted. He's never been fucked up, knocked out, like, had bad, bad beatings other than the Stipe fight. But even then, like, he wasn't... He looked fine. The Stipe looked worse. Stipe clearly won the fight, but, like, like if you look at their face, oh, Stipe God. looked way worse after the f fight with Francis that Francis did. So that, I've just looked it up then, trying to think how long ago it was. So that was January 2018. So what's that's that's going to be three three more years on Stipe's clock. Yes, is not. And how much ideal. damage has Francis taken in that time? I mean, the Derek Lewis fight zero. <laughs> him, him and Derek Lewis hurt each other's eyeballs, staring at each yeah, other so exactly. intently. <laughs> and then after that fight, it's been all like first, second round finishes. Yeah, Francis hasn't even been touched. No, and, and, in three and, years. Yeah, and Stipe's been to war. We've been to war, yeah. and he's older. He's salty as fuck in terms of experience. And and like and then what? After that, he's gonna fight John Jones. After I mean, so he's gonna he's gonna go through his heavyweight reign. He's gonna have that crazy fight with Francis. Get knocked out by DC. Had those crazy fights with DC. Somehow he's supposed to beat Francis. Then he's supposed to fight John Jones. Here's what I will say: If Stipe beats Francis and beats John Jones, best of all time. Don't ever, ever come back. Just go. Go away. Yep. Don't ever come back. You are the GOAT. 
If I don't care that he's lost. If Stipe beats Francis and he beats John Jones, he's the GOAT. Yeah. If he beats Francis and he loses to John Jones, he's still the heavyweight GOAT. Because yeah. he, he loses John Jones, like John Jones, unless John Jones goes on and goes on crazy title runs and whatever. But let's say that John Jones, let's say Stipe beats Francis and then John beats Stipe, right? How many title fights would he need to win in order to pass Stipe's legacy, even if he gets one win over him? Like, yeah. one fight does not create a legacy. Right, you need to. He needs to. Is he going to defend four or five times? Yeah, five, five fights. Because if he beats Francis, it will be five title fight wins, five defenses. Yeah, I think because he he defended it four times, then he lost, then he won it back, and then he defended it when he won it back from DC. So I mean, I don't know how many fights John would have to win in order to surpass Stipe in terms of a pure heavyweight legacy, but if Stipe wins his next. Two fights. He needs to fuck off. And even if he beats Francis, he might want to seriously consider fucking off. <laughs> yeah. Like, if Francis touches him up a little bit and he still wins, you're done. Just call it a day. It's fine. We love you. So you know. Okay. So let's say Francis wins. It's one and one. Oh, don't, does Stipe don't, want? Don't I mean, right. Do. This is where like, does he want that smoke again? No. What, what happens with John? If it, like, if, if um, yeah, if, if Ngano takes him out the way Ngano took out Overeem, Stipe, just don't. You know. I just feel like. Stipe is going to have to have a very serious conversation with himself about when to retire. If he loses this fight, even though he will have split the series with Nganu, don't have that third fight. If he loses the fight with Nganu, don't, don't fight Curtis Blades. Don't go through the contenders, right? Don't, don't do that. If he wins the fight, I still want to see the John Jones fight. But if he beats Nganu again, he might just consider stopping there. I also want to see the Jones fight, but like, just if he beats Ngannou again, his heavyweight legacy is so intact. He beat the guy, the only guy to beat him since he was champion. If he gets the win over the only the, the Mike Tyson of MMA, Francis Ngannou, man, it's in terms of heavyweight legacy, Stipe's got some really serious questions to answer. I don't think he's gonna be the guy to be like, you know what, I'm gonna quit while I'm ahead. <laughs> I can see him being the Chuck Liddell type, getting knocked out a bunch of times because he's. Such a legend, and I just it's tough. Yeah, tough with Stipe. I want to see Ngannou fight Jones. If Stipe wins against Ngannou, I don't know if I necessarily want to see him fight Jones. If Ngannou beats him, I definitely don't want to see him fight Ngannou again or Jones. And I don't want to see him go through the ringer of contenders again. It all depends on this fight. Yeah. And then I don't think you rush him into fighting Jones if, especially depending on how much damage he takes against Ngannou. All these. Variables, right? The, he's at the stage now where you're not going to get more than two fights out of him a year. Yeah. Maybe you're... And he's already... How old is Stipe? Can you look it up? 36? 35? may have to hit the Wikipedia up to see what his age is. Just press another button. But he's got some wear and tear on him. His last five fights have all 30, been... 38. Oh, 38. Oh, it's even worse. Man, if he beats Francis Ngannou, I'm, if I'm Dana White, I'm like, dude, you don't want this. Yeah, fine. Let John you come in John. here. Let him fight Francis or let him fight Blades or let him fight Derek Lewis or let him fight, I mean, who else is Volkanovsk, uh, or sorry, Volkov? Can you pull up the, the heavyweight top 10 rankings yep. so we can wrap our head around <laughs> what might happen? <laughs> what, what is going to happen here? Just bring up the rankings. Here we go. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully these are up to date. So, all right, let's see what we got here. 
Overeem, I mean, oh, Cyril gone. I mean, okay, at least Cyril gone is something fresh in the heavyweight top 10. So, I mean, Overeem, what are you going to say about Overeem? I don't think he's a threat to anyone. I don't think he's a threat to, I mean, DC oh, could come go. back. Uh, so, Kurt, Nganu's one. Curtis Blades, number two. Rosenstruck. Oh, don't do that. I mean, we got some dinosaurs in the top 10, dude. The top 10 heavyweight is salty as fuck. It's so salty. Derek, yeah, Derek Lewis, Alvareem, Volkov, Gain, and then it sort of goes down a bit. So it's not exactly yeah. exciting. But that uh, Shamil, that, that number eight guy, that guy's legit. He, he's a real threat. Abdurakhimov, something like that. He, he's a, a serious threat. Um, Cyril Gon's a serious threat, although we've never seen his ground game. He's a decorated kickboxer, but John Jones would toss him on his motherfucking head. Volkov is interesting, um, although he got finished by Derek Lewis and Overeem, Lewis, Rosenstruck. I mean, Francis damn near killed him. Francis beat Curtis Blades twice. I mean, who would you want to see John Jones fight in that top five other than Francis? Maybe Derek Lewis being an interesting fight. You don't maybe. think John Jones would take him? If DC fucked Derek Lewis up so hard. True. I mean, he didn't even train for that fight. He took it on like three weeks' notice, took him down, smashed him. The only people there that can compete with John Jones are Francis. Oh, but, you, but we say Francis can, but then you look what happened against Steve Bay. Yeah, but John has to get inside to take him down. John doesn't want to try to stand up with Francis. His right. game plan would be, his John's clinch is some of the best in the history of MMA. He wants to clinch him and toss him on his head. He does not want to play that game of striking with Francis Ngannou because that's the only way that he can win. Mm. Francis is going to take him down. He's not going to submit him. <laughs> the only way Francis Ngannou wins the fight is by standing. It doesn't mean John won't strike with him. First of all, John can kick the shit out of anybody. When I say kick, I literally mean kick the shit out of anybody. He'll switch kick you. He'll switch the southpaw, kick the body, kick the leg. He'll straight kick your knee with that front kick that he does. He'll uh, snap kick up the middle. His head kicks are amazing. His clinch work, his elbows, his wrestling, his lateral drops. Is, just listen, Fran like John Jones has to worry about two people. He has to worry about Francis. He has to worry about Stipe. Outside of that, he will wreck the rest of the heavyweight division. It's not even interesting. Yeah. So, I don't know what's going to happen with Stipe. It's going to be probably one of the biggest storylines of this year. In addition to the apparent three fights that Conor McGregor wants to have this year. So he says, I mean, the storylines for this year are going to be interesting. It's January, so it's kind of fun to play what the potential mega fights of the year are going to be. Uh, Conor McGregor wanting to be active this year is huge. Stipe, Francis, Stipe, John, John, Francis, Israel Adesanya and Jan Blachowicz. That's one we haven't touched on. That just got finalized. That's super interesting. I pe think people are not giving Jan Blachowicz enough credit and enough of a chance in that fight. But if Israel goes up and wins that light heavyweight title, we might be cooking there. That's interesting. But I read that Jones said he's got no interest... Even if Adesanya wins, he's got no interest in going back down. I mean, yeah, I, don't, but say I that. do not believe him Say that all. now. Say yeah. that now. Let's see how that goes. I don't know, man. Either way, it's endlessly fascinating. We, we pretty much belabored all those cards, uh, today's card and the, the upcoming week's cards. Was there anything else, dude? Was there anything else worth mentioning? We talked about Francis and Stipe. We, talked to, we didn't mention Volkanovski and, Hall, or and um, Ortega much. That fight is coming up. 
interesting fight. We got plenty of time to talk about that. I won't beat the dead horse. I favor Volkanovski slightly, although not too much because Brian Ortega looked fucking stunning in his last fight. That was sensational. Who did who did Ortega beat last time? Right? Korean Zombie, right? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. That was what it, you finished him, right? Let's check. Can you, yeah, I can't. It's been, <laughs> let's, it's let's been a minute. Out. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. But I think he finished Korean Zombie, right? Did he knock him out or? Yeah, he, yeah, he's striking. Look phenomenal. Otherwise, I, I look like an right. idiot. <laughs> I hope I'm right. <laughs> People just screaming now. At the My short-term YouTube. memory no, is, is not what it used to be. My short-term memory, especially for this year, is just not there. It was Korean Zombie, yep. right? What was it? Can you? What was the result? Uh, when you know? Oh, decision. Oh, but he destroyed him. Yeah, he, he picked them apart. That's what. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Now I, I got the memory in my head. So that looked endlessly fascinating. I mean, I'm pretty sure we hit the current events in terms of training, in terms of fighting. Not much left. Uh. What else was it? Pretty much covered it. Yep. Right? I think that's it all. Can't remember anything else. All right. Nope. So, uh, in other news, we have some uh, content that we're that we're planning to release next week. The podcast will be in a new quote unquote studio. Studio meaning spare bedroom in my new condo. <laughs> that will be the studio. <laughs> I don't know how much customization my wife is going to allow me to get away with in terms of the new studio, but she's got some fucking crazy stripper pole she wants to hang up in the middle of the bedroom. So if she's allowed to do that. I'm allowed to do other things. If she's doing that, everything's fair, guys. Exactly, exactly. So I'll be sure to update all you creeps on my wife's stripper pole. And (laughs) and, uh, (laughs) next week, the podcast should be interesting. We have some content scheduled in between there and now. Uh, I'm really looking – what I'm trying to do with the podcast in this year is, one, I want to cover more local competition. It just – we can do it or we cannot do it depending on – who's here we're gonna bring back the old format i've heard a lot of people say that they like the old podcast where we had the guests on all that kind of stuff i still want to do that we're not going to quit doing that but the reality is it's hard to get motherfuckers to actually commit when they say they're going to come in there was a month where i had four cancellations in a row and i didn't podcast for like three weeks and i can't you know and sometimes it was my fault and sometimes it was other people's fault and sometimes it was a situation but i care more about consistency than anything and i can't have people canceling on me stop the podcast so i do want to still have that we'll get more people in as things come and go but i also want to put more martial arts content up breakdown videos i spoke to jake about um i think what i'm going to do is on the weekend i want to have like a weekly review so that i can break down the techniques that we're working on class and i'm going to make it totally free I'm just going to allow anybody to view it and I'll break down the techniques that we've been working on in class and I'll make it free to anybody who wants it. So we'll try to put up more, not technique videos, but actual recordings of class and me actually teaching the class. And I'll make that free to all you freaks out there who are looking for some extra training. Leg lock February. Yes, we've been doing nothing but leg locks and heel hooks. So if you want a heel hook master class, you let me know. Maybe we'll put that up next week. Today, that was all we did. So uh, it might be nice. The trick will be you and me coordinating and, and figuring all that shit out. But uh, we can only do it on the weekend because the lighting is better. But uh, right now we're doing single leg X, X guard, reverse X, inside and outside Senkaku. Inside heel hooks is what we've been doing. So if you're looking to up your leg lock game, leave a comment. Let me know what you want. Please subscribe to the channel, everybody. I've been stagnant since the Khabib video, but things have been weird. 
So if you enjoy this content, it helps me out if you like and subscribe. It's totally free. All of the techniques that I'm going to put on the channel, including the stuff that I put on class, I'm going to make it totally free. I, I don't believe in paying for that kind of shit. Unless you want to come to my gym and actually be here, I want to make sure you guys get free and cool content. Anything else, dude? Jake, uh, anything else, man? You sent me that boxing video, but we've not pre-reviewed it, so I don't know whether to put it on or not. We don't want to get pulled. I think at this point, with so far in the podcast, we could probably... Let's save it. We'll save it. Because we already beat this podcast to death. So, uh, everybody, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It's 2021, January, New Year. We're going to get over this COVID shit. By the end of the year and the beginning of next year, life will continue as it was, fighting is going to be sick. Martial arts competition is going to be sick. Um, really, thank you all for listening. Please uh, watch the video. You can also download the podcast on Spotify. You can download it on Apple Podcasts. And uh, you can also check it out on Podbean. Uh, I'm at Lucas Leisure on Instagram. You can check me out on Facebook. You can check me out on Instagram. Jake, shout out your shit that you never share anything with other than pictures of your amazingly Aryan and beautiful children. (laughs) (laughs) I I am on Instagram. I think it's Shanghai Jake, but don't follow me. There's nothing of interest on there. (laughs) Uh, But still, man, you're producing things. You're doing shit. You're doing shit, man. Um, All right, everybody. This is the Stronghold Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Good night.